Great singing again tonight. Go to the book of 1 Peter, if you would. 1 Peter chapter number 1. And uh, we're going to return back to verses 15 and 16 tonight. We dealt with uh, some of these verses last Wednesday. And I mentioned to you then we were going to uh, park here for just a couple of weeks and uh, going to deal with the light subject of the holiness of God. And um, that's one of the lightest subjects you can cover, isn't it? The holiness of God. And, uh, of course, I'm being sarcastic. Uh, this is something that would be nearly impossible to cover. We will not be able to cover it all, uh, even in the next two weeks, even if we tried. Uh, but we're going to try to just give you an overview of when we talk about the holiness of God, uh, what exactly are we talking about? In 1 Peter chapter 1, look at verses 15 and 16. The Bible says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. We looked at verses 13 through 16 last week, and I mentioned to you that verses 15 and 16 are what are often referred to as a, a they're verses that declare a, a, a theological term that's simply called theology, theology proper, all right, theology proper. And this particular phrase is a word and a phrase that kind of gives us an idea of, of what it's trying to convey. Uh, the word theology, we know that is the study of God, and we'll get a little bit more in depth about that in a moment. But as we spent the majority of our time last week, we were dealing primarily with that first expression that says, because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. And we spent most of our time talking about the phrase, be ye holy. But tonight we want to deal with the expression or the phrase that God says about himself, for I am holy. I am holy. Now, in order to really approach the subject and to think about what this subject of theology proper actually is, uh, we need to understand uh, really who we're studying. Uh, when we make the phrase about the holiness of God, it conjures up in our minds a lot of different thoughts about, okay, I, I understand what the holiness of God is. Uh, that means God is something. God is something special. God is something unique. God is unlike anyone or anything that I know. And all those things are true, but it's so much deeper than that. It's so much more than just God is unique. Uh, when we understand theology proper, uh, we understand that the word theology comes from two Greek words, theos, and then which means God, and logos, which means a, an expression. So theology, in its pure sense, is the, an expression of God. It's how God expresses himself or how God can be known. When we talk about theology, that's what that word means. That word theology means how God can be known. So theology, in its pure sense, is the discovery or the systematic presentation of the truth about God. Okay, that's what it is. So when I talk about theology, we're talking about God being presented in a systematic way. That means it has a, it has a clear pattern. You can, you can find out, you can learn about who God is. So what is theology? Theology is studying the truths of God. Where do we learn about the truth of God? We learn about the truth of God in the Word of God. Everything we need to know about God, and in particular God's holiness, we find from the Word. The Word of God is a revelation. It's the revelation of God. 
And it's a self-revelation. In other words, when we talk about the Bible, God is revealing himself in the Bible. This is not a book about someone. This is a book that is the revelation of someone. It is literally a book that reveals God. So we can simply come to the conclusion that all true knowledge about the holiness of God, all true knowledge about who God is historically, who God is in a revelation uh, sense, his creation, his covenants, his redemption, his judgments, all comes from the word of God. Theology proper, verses 15 and 16, teach us about who God is. Holiness is not just something as one of the things to describe God. It is God, his very essence. He says, I am holy. He doesn't say it is one of my attributes, although that's true. It is, I am holy. This is not just something that I, that I possess. This is what I actually, what he is. Okay, so this theology and this theology proper is dealing with the attributes and the works of God. The word of God reveals the very nature of God, who God is. Now, you probably didn't think about that, but in verses 15 and 16, we really have a revelation of all that God is. And you say, how can two verses bring that? Because holiness, we mentioned last week, is the very crown jewel of God. His holiness is the, his crowned glory. That's what holiness really is. We've often thought about holiness as just something that we do. Something that we, how we act or what we put on or how we live our lives. Those are all outflows of what's changed in us. But when God talks about being holy, he's not talking about literally just the things that he does. He's talking about the very essence, the very nature of who he is. So when we think about this, in order to understand, for I am holy, tonight we want to deal with really the subject of the perfection of God's holiness. The perfection of God's holiness. And in order to get us there, then we've got really two steps we want to look at tonight. Number one, we want to look at having the proper view of the holiness of God. And then number two, the picture of this holiness, what this looks like. So here's what verses 15, verse 16, just that phrase, for I am holy, there's two things being declared here, really two truths. Number one, God is incomprehensible. Okay? In order to fully comprehend God in our human intellect would be impossible. He is incomprehensible. There's no way you and I could fully comprehend all of God. Yet, it is having that type of view. I need to understand I cannot have a complete un. un unfiltered view of God. There's always going to be something that is blocking my perfect view, but I, I can still know him. But he is incomprehensible. The human mind will never gain full and complete knowledge of God. However, it also does tell us something because he said this last week. He said, be ye holy for I am holy. So the second truth about this proper view of God is that it does teach us that if he's telling us to be holy for I am holy, then we can know him through his attributes. Now, we can't fully comprehend him in our mind, but we can know him through his attributes. In other words, if I don't know who God is, I'm going to know God through his attributes. Attributes are characteristics. They are things that make God God. 
There are certain attributes that only God possesses. There are things that only God has that no other human being ever will have or can have. Charles Ryrie, in a book entitled Basic Theology, he illustrated it this way about the attributes of God. Now, I don't fully agree with all that Ryrie stands for, but he does make a very good quote about attributes of God. He says this, love, for example, is not part of God's nature. God in his total being is love. While God may display one quality or another at any given time, no quality is independent of a preeminent or preeminent over any of the others. So whenever God displays his wrath, he still loves. Okay, so God doesn't turn off characteristics. In other words, when he's pouring out wrath, he doesn't turn off love and he doesn't turn off holiness. Okay, so when we talk about I am holy, this is not something that God is holy one day and he turns off the holiness the next day. When he shows love, he does not abandon his holiness. So when God says, I am holy, he's not saying, I am not love now. Okay? He's, I, am, I am holy, but at the same time he says, I'm holy, he's also love. That's gaining a proper view of who God is. He doesn't abandon holiness when he loves, and he doesn't abandon love when he demonstrates holiness. We've got to understand that the importance of the holiness of God some of you have read this book. Some of you, I know for a fact, have read it recently because you've told me, and some of you have read it in the past. R.C. Sproul in The Holiness of God says this about the Word of God based on Isaiah 6. He says, the Bible says that God is holy, 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 not that he is mere, merely holy or even holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. The Bible never says that God is love, 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 or mercy, 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 or wrath, 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 or justice, justice, justice. But it does say he is holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, we looked at Isaiah 6 a number of months ago, so I won't spend a lot of time talking about that, but that there was a reason that the holy was mentioned three times. So, Holiness, or the word holy, literally throughout the Bible, throughout translations, literally means to be distinct, to be separate, to be different. So holiness is, can be defined in its purest form. Distinct, different, separate. Burkhoff, in his book, Systematic Theology, defined holy as coming from the root words which mean to cut or to separate. So when you think about God, what you're looking at, you're looking at God who is separate and holy. That simply means this, there is no one like him. There's, you couldn't put God on one side and put someone or something else on the other side and go down their list of comparables. God is separate. He's distinct. When we think about God, God is holy and above all. Now hold your place there in 1 Peter. We're going to be moving to a couple of uh, verses and a couple of references, primarily Old Testament passages, but hold your place there in 1 Peter and go back to the book of Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter number 15. 
And let's pick up, just want to pull a couple of verses out here and just show you uh, statements that are made about God being separate, distinct, and different. Exodus 15, 11, the Bible says, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Notice he says, who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Now, he's not asking in a sense of, really, Lord, please tell me. He's saying it in a means that there is none like you. And he says, who is like thee? Like thee how? Glorious in holiness. You see, the works of God ought to produce fear in us. But it also ought to produce all. So when we look at God, we think about God's holiness, we've got who God is, it ought to produce fear and awe. At what? At his holiness. That's what this verse is saying. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness? The fact of God's holiness ought to to conjure up in us fear and awe. Fearful in praises, doing wonders. Holiness, which is not only just moral perfection. Okay, it's not just moral perfection. It doesn't just mean God's without sin. It is incomparable excellence in every way. That means every time you think about God, you're looking at perfection. You and I have never seen perfect in anything in this life. But when you look at God and you have the proper view of God, you are looking at perfection. If God is perfect, His Word is perfect. That perfection matters. God is perfect. And we'll deal more with this perfection as we move along. But in this study, this idea of looking at these verses, for God to be holy... Okay, in order for God to be what he declares, he has to be holy in every part of his nature. In other words, he has to be holy in love. He has to be holy in wrath. Okay? Holiness is the crown jewel of his perfection. Holiness matters. Now, when we think about the holiness of God, we're not just dealing with another attribute. When the word holy is applied to God... It speaks of his very essence. His essence is holy. It's not just an attribute. In other words, it's not just something that he wears as a badge. It's his essence. It defines who he is. Essence, if we were to put a, a, word, a, a definition of the word essence, essence is the nature of. So holiness is the essence or the nature of God. You can change a lot of things about a lot of people and a lot of things. You can change it. You can, you can change things, but you cannot change the nature of God. In other words, if he's holy one day, he's going to be holy the next day. He's going to be holy one million years from now. He's still going to be holy and perfect. It's not going to change. To speak of God 
is to speak of his essence, not just an idea, not just something that personifies an idea, but the very essence of holiness. God is the very essence, the very, the very nature of it. When you apply the word holy to God, it speaks of his deity. Now again, these words and these phrases take, uh, taken along what we studied last week when he said, be ye holy for I am holy. Now that first phrase, be ye holy, is getting a little bit more complicated, isn't it? Because he's telling us to be something that seems to be impossible. That's why we're going to spend a few weeks on this. The word holy shows us all that God is. When I say we serve a holy God, it's not just a phrase you attach as a description of God. When you describe a holy God, you are saying the entire essence of who God is. Holiness includes love. Holiness includes his wrath. Holiness includes all of those things. So when I say we serve a holy God, I am not just simply saying this is one thing about God. It is his very essence. The holiness of God. He is absolutely separate. He's separate from and he is exalted above all of his creation. That's the foolishness of man that thinks that for one second... He which is created can tell the Creator what to do in any aspect of our lives, including our salvation. Okay? Why would the creation be able to tell the Creator, who is separate and far and exalted above, what would give them the right to dictate to God what He ought to do? You don't have that right. Why do we do that? Because we have an improper view of the holiness of God. If you think you can call God down to your level, it's because you have an improper view of the holiness of God. See, this holiness is really the glue that's holding what we think about God together. If I was to say every attribute about God I believe except his holiness, you realize the whole essence of God falls apart and you have no need of a God who isn't holy. All those things matter. He's separate above his creation, but he's also equally separate from all evil and sin. Now, you study this Bible out, and you find places where God pours out wrath or takes vengeance against someone else. Man is quick to say, I think God just sinned. God's never sinned. You say, well, what right did God have to do to take that action? Because he's God. He's separate. He's exalted way above us. But to suggest that God has ever or ever or almost sinned is foolishness. God's never been close to sinning. People like to describe Christ when he came to this earth, took on a robe of human flesh, never ceasing to be God. That they say, Jesus Christ, he was real close to sinning. He wasn't close to sinning. Jesus Christ is God. His holiness is not just an attribute that helps coordinate with other attributes, but it, is, it coexists with all of them. 
the word holiness denotes the perfection of God in all that he is. All of God in his love, his justice, his mercy, his knowledge, and the Holy Spirit are holy. God's love is holy love. God's justice is holy justice, holy mercy, holy wrath, holy knowledge. Now here's the problem. Man, you pick him, whoever you want. Choose anyone in history from all the pages of history. You can choose the person. None of those people could ever be able to acquire the sinless perfection required to actually approach that God. No matter how holy his life appears to be. In other words, he could be the picture outwardly of everything that ought to mark what a believer ought to look like. And he still would not be able to even approach God. Why? Because the only approach to God must be done through a perfect mediator. In order for me to approach God, I've got to be made perfect. I don't mean perfect in the human terms we talk about. I need someone as my mediator. It can only be done through the merit of someone else. When Peter was writing, Be ye holy, for I am holy, he was not telling those believers to do something they were incapable of. He was connecting those two thoughts together, that in order order to be holy as God is saying to be, you have to go through the merit of Jesus Christ. You have to go through Him to even approach God. I can't even approach God without Christ. I can't pray to God without Christ. Christ is the mediator. He's the only way of approach. Aside from Christ, sinners are eternally separated from God. Why? Because we are the very opposite of the essence of God. We're unholy. He's holy. We're not. Now, that's deep theology theology there. He's holy. We're not. And that's about as simple as you can put it. Without Christ, we are declared unholy. The lack of understanding of God and His holiness leads man to a problem with sin. When man fails to recognize the holiness of God, he fails to recognize and repent of his sin, and he will continue having an incorrect view of God. Now we know an incorrect view of God leaves man with the inability to live a life of holiness. If I have a wrong view of God, there's no way I'm going to be able to live a life of holiness. How do I get the right view of God? through Christ. Folks, I think we take for granted that when you preach these kind of truths, only believers comprehend what's being said. Because without the Holy Spirit, this is gibberish. This, this makes no sense because you, you think about it, what, what do you mean? But see, the Holy Spirit confirms what the Holy Scriptures teach. Literally, the proper view of the holiness of God, it's, it's marred, humanly speaking, by the depravity of man. Man is depraved. Man can't see this without God opening the eyes to show him these truths. So we need to have a proper view. Number two, the picture. Now, this is, these are going to overlap some. But the attributes of God 
give us just a glimpse of who God is. Now, if you study the Bible and you were to say, okay, now let's, let's take God's holiness and let's put it alongside love, justice, mercy, knowledge. And if we were to rank them, the holiness of God would have to be ranked as the very first. It literally denotes the truth of who God is. Holiness in the Bible means separation from all that is common or unclean. Now, you remember this last week. Go ahead and turn, go back to Leviticus. We, we looked at this verse last week, but let's look at it now through uh, the lens of, of what we're studying tonight. Look at Leviticus chapter 11 in verses 44 through uh, 47. With this remembrance in mind that the holiness of God means separation from all that is common or unclean. In other words, in respect to God, holiness means he is separate from all that is unclean and evil, but also that he is perfectly pure and distinct from all others. All right, here's what Leviticus 11 verse 44 says. For I am the Lord your God, ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall ye defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. For I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. This is the law of the beast and of the fowl and of every living creature that moveth in the waters and of every creature that creepeth upon the earth to make a difference between the unclean and the clean and between the beast that may be eaten and the beast that may not be eaten. You know, many times in even some Orthodox Jewish circles, they are so consumed with what you can eat and what you can't eat, but what they're missing is the principle that God was teaching is His holiness, and He was teaching that there is a separation in me. I am separate and distinct from all that is unclean, and I'm pure. That's what He's teaching here. So we have to ask ourselves the question, how does God fulfill this holiness, this holy separation? In other words, how is God holy? Tozer said this. He's got a book entitled The Knowledge of the Holy. I read this years ago. He asked this question. He says, what is God like? If by that question we mean what is God like in himself, there is no answer. If we mean what has God disclosed about himself that the reverent reason can comprehend, there is, I believe, an answer both full and satisfying. For while the name of God is secret and his essential nature incomprehensible, he is condescending love and has by revelation declared certain things to be true of himself. These we call attributes. So this proper view or this picture of God is this picture of something that is perfectly separate, without a hint of uncleanness. Over in uh, Leviticus 19, we read this too. Verse 2 says, Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now, Leviticus 19 is given in the context of law. It's given in the context of the laws that were to, to given to man to guard the sanctity of God's people. In other words, the commands were given to make the people distinct and separate. Okay, is everybody following that? That's what the commands were for. Holiness 
was meant to not be a badge of honor, but it was meant to be a badge of distinction. Okay, we sometimes in our church, we wear our, our badges, our holiness as badges for other people to admire. In other words, we say, if I do this, I'm really holy. And we compare ourselves to someone else. God's simply saying there's a distinction between the unclean and the clean. This proper view of God's holiness is the standard by which man lives his life. And by the way, it's the only perspective that matters. In other words, if I view my standard of holiness by comparing it to you, I'm using the wrong standard. In other words, you are not my comparison. So if I say I'm more holy than you, you're not the standard. And by the way, I'm not the standard. You can't hold me as your standard. The only standard that matters is God's standard. And God's standard is this, be ye holy for I am holy. That's the standard. It's only through that perspective of that picture of seeing God, like Isaiah did in Isaiah 6, high, holy, and lifted up, that the sinner is led to real repentance. That's why we completely discount this idea that man does not have to acknowledge the holiness of God and can just simply make a decision for God one day without really any understanding of the attributes of who God really is. If my standard is just simply based upon what man has determined, I have an improper view or the wrong picture of God. A proper view of the holiness of God should make man more sensitive to his own sin. If you view the, the holiness of God properly, you should be more sensitive to sin now than you once were. If you sin with no real, it, it causes nothing in you. It, it doesn't even cause you to think twice. You have an improper view of the holiness of God. So if you can sin with no remorse, you can sin without any thought about it. Number one, I would question your salvation, but I would also say there's something wrong because your view of the holiness of God is wrong. Because if I understand I have the right view of the holiness of God, I am going to be, I am not going to be enthralled with my sin. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be more sensitive to it. I'm going to be more aware of it. And I believe, and I think scripturally this would play out, you're going to hate your sin more and more every day that you live. There appears to be a hatred of sin. It is quickly disappearing from Christian circles. It's all been outward this and outward that, but where is the hatred for sin? I hate it. We ought to hate sin. But man will never achieve perfect holiness. Okay, let's get, we'll never achieve perfect holiness on this side of, of glory especially. But we still are to obey and pursue after holiness. We should pursue keeping these things that make us distinct and separate. But by the way, be careful that you're not setting that standard up based upon the wrong standard. The Word of God declares again to us in 1 Peter 1.15, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. So that's the proper view in the picture. Now let's just finish the last few minutes with this perfection. The perfection of the holiness of God. Very simply, just like we said, God is incomprehensible, but God is perfect. 
in every sense of the word. Perfect. God's holiness is the very thing that separates him from every other being, every other creature. It separates him from all. It denotes the perfection of God is all that God is. God's character is holy. In his holiness, God transcends all of creation. And like we read earlier, he is glorious in his holiness. He is to be worshipped in the beauty and the glory of his holiness. He's greater than the creation. He's separate from the creation. And he's separate from his, it, all of its sin. The holiness of God is God's primary perfection. It's his primary perfection. Go over to Psalm 86. There's a lot of verses we could go to tonight. We will go to more next week as we study through this. But Psalm 86, verses 8 through 10. Now, this is not going to specifically mention the words holy or holiness. But what this verse is actually declaring is really, it, it, it declares his position where he is. Psalm 86, verse 8. Among the gods there is none like unto thee, O Lord, neither are there any works like unto thy works. All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. For thou art great and doest wondrous things, thou art God alone. Now I'm going to go on a little bit. Psalm 86 is one of the many psalms that is a prayer of David. And I want you to notice as David makes these statements about God, his glorious works, and about worship, notice what David's prayer is. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name forevermore. For great is thy mercy toward me. And thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. Now David's going to go on and going to rattle off some of the attributes of God. He says in verse 14, O God, the proud are rising against me, and the assemblies of violent men have sought after my soul and have not set thee before them. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. By the way, compassion is best defined as pity that moves a person to help the needy. That's what compassion is. Compassion isn't saying, I feel sorry for you. God bless you as you go. Compassion is pity that provides help to the needy. Compassion and gracious. What is grace? It's giving favor to the undeserving. What is the long suffering here? It is patience. Mercy and truth, two words. Mercy and truth throughout the scripture almost always connected together. Mercy and truth cannot be taken apart because literally mercy and truth, they are linked together about fidelity. Look what David is saying. Lord, art thou art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. O oh, turn unto me and have mercy upon me. Give thy strength unto thy servant and save the son of thy handmaid. Show me a token for good that they which hate me may see it 
and be ashamed because thou, Lord, hast helped me and comforted me. David, there in verse 11, says, Unite my heart to fear thy name. Now remember, holy is separate and distinct. Since there's only one God, we've got to pray that God's Spirit would remove all the false gods that divide our loyalty. Things that draw our attention. Things that focus our mind on something else. What David is asking for is that his mind would be exclusively on God. With holy awe and reverence and holy fear. That's what David's asking for. Have you ever prayed that? God, make my mind solely on you exclusively. Now, David did not ask that until David had the right picture and the proper view of the holiness of God. People that have the wrong view of God will never pray like that. They'll pray this way. God, give me this. God, give me that. God, help me now. God, do this. God, do this. God, provide this. Nothing wrong with asking God to do things, but understand something. That's not the primary purpose of prayer. The primary purpose of prayer is not to get your will done. That's hard for people to hear because they think prayer is, I, God wants me to pray so I get my way. That's the furthest thing from the truth. Prayer is actually going to be a recitation of God's holiness a thankful prayer of who God is because you have the right view of God's holiness. That's, that's literally what David's talking about here. David started that whole psalm. I've gone much further in this than I wanted to, but the very first verse of Psalm 86, he says, bow down, bow down thine ear. You know what David's asking God to do? Condescend to me. Come down to where I am. Oh, Lord, hear me. Why? For I am poor and needy. Now, here's what's interesting. Preserve my soul, for I am holy. Wow, we've been talking about that, haven't we? For I am holy. What is he saying? David is saying, I'm the recipient of your love. David now says, I'm holy. He's not saying I'm holy because I'm perfect. He's saying, I am a gracious recipient of your love. Be merciful unto me. I cry unto thee daily. Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Now, we've really nearly read the whole song. But you see what's happening here. When the Bible describes God as holy, it reveals he's far above and beyond what we can even comprehend. Yet David here shows us that this God who is far above what we can comprehend can be called upon. That's one of the greatest promises you're going to hear all of your life. Is that this God, this holy God, can be called upon. When the Bible describes God, it reveals all that he is. The word of God tells us in Revelation 4, I believe it's verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. When we consider a holy God, we stand in all of him because he's perfect in glory, he's perfect in his majesty. Folks, the thing you're going to be most impressed with in glory 
is not the streets of gold. And I, I, I cannot stress this. Much of what our old time hymns, some of the hymns that really went off the rails, they started to teach you about things that pulled you away from what was really going to matter when you get to glory. It's not about the mansions and it's not about the streets of gold. It's not about the jasper walls. It's about the glory and the, of God. When, when you're stand, seated before Him and you're, you're laying before Him, prostrate on the ground, you're not going to be concerned about the trivial things. Literally, it is, we are going to stand in awe of Him because we are going to see God in His perfect glory and see Him in His perfect majesty. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all His ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is He. Probably one of the greatest illustrations, we'll finish with this back in Exodus 3, one of the great illustrations of the perfection of the holiness of God. I've given you a number of them, but this one we often just read kind of as a Bible story, and it, uh, evangelists have learned how to preach this one really well to get you emotionally charged. But what's really happening here in Exodus 3 is more about what God is announcing to Moses and Moses' response to what God tells him. Exodus 3, verse 3, and of course this is the story about Moses keeping the flock of Jethro, his father. Verse 2 tells us that the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, as if that wouldn't astound you in and of itself. He looks and behold, the bush is not, is, is, was burned with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Uh, by the way, that would amaze you. If we set, a, a, set one of the shrubs on fire out here and it didn't consume, you'd be amazed. This is, this is the presence of God. Moses said, verse 3, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. Moses is trying to figure this out. And, excuse me, I'm paraphrasing this. He's wondering, why, why is this logic tells me that fire and shrub, shrub should be burned? <laughs> That's logic, right? All of us knew that. That's logic. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, I love this, he turned aside to see, God sees Moses in wonder and in awe. He's wondering, why is this bush not consumed? God called unto him out of the midst of the bush. Now you're really amazed, right? And said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here am I. Now Moses is talking to a burning shrub. But it's not about what's happening here. Look at the first thing that God says. He says, and he said, draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Don't draw nigh hither. Don't, don't be close to here. Put off thy shoes. That, this was a sign, a gesture of reverence. Now, he says it's holy ground. It has nothing to do with the sand or the dirt or the, the shrub, the grass. The, the principle here is, is what God is teaching Moses is that wherever God's presence, wherever his holy presence is, it sets apart his people, times, and things as something sacred. God's telling Moses, my presence is holy. It's sacred. It's set apart. 
And then he announces to him in verse 6, Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face. Oh, wow, what a lesson. For he was afraid to look upon God. He was afraid to look upon God. I'm the God of Abraham. Abraham lived in God's presence. He was in covenant with the Lord. But notice the Bible says about Moses, he hid his face. You know what's interesting about hiding his face? Isaiah 6 teaches us that the seraphim, the angels that are in heaven, they hide their face. What an amazing picture this is. The ground upon which Moses stood was considered holy because God's, the presence of God was there. Putting off of the shoes. You could preach a whole message about the shoes. You'd miss the point. I mean, seriously, it's not about the shoes. And we think about the essence of God and we think about His holiness. It reveals our unworthiness to stand in His presence. And literally, Moses is being taught that lesson. Moses... You're really, in and of yourself, you're unworthy to even stand in my presence. And folks, understand the holiness of God. Understand that tonight. In and of yourself, you are unworthy to stand in the presence of God. You don't have anything to offer God that gains you access. The only access to God is through Christ. Psalm 33, 8 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in all of him. God alone is perfectly holy, and holiness makes him the perfect being that he is. Since no man is without sin, no man is perfect like a holy God. But folks, we will never, ever, ever gain the correct view of God apart from the perfection of his holiness. When Peter tells these scattered Christians, these scattered believers... By the way, he wasn't writing to lost people. He wasn't writing to people who were outside of Christ. He was writing to believers... And he's telling them, be ye holy, for I am holy. Over the next few weeks, we'll deal a little bit deeper even next week about this purity. What, what is the holiness of God in purity? What does it actually mean? Like I said, we won't be able to cover this in two or three weeks. So we'll still be sitting and saying, boy, I wish I got a, a better picture of this. But we're sure going to try to do the best we can with it. Be ye holy, for I am holy, the perfection of God's holiness.